Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Even though the last few weeks we have not formally gathered in this location, we didn't do things in a normal way the last few weeks, even though we didn't do those things, you know, we still did ministry. We still did church. We still acted like the church. And I know that we know this already, but the church is not a location that we gather in, but rather the church is the gathered people of God, wherever that might be. So whether that is in a park on Christmas morning, whether that was combined with another congregation last week, we still were the church. And at the end of December, Many of you gave money and various gifts to support the families at this school. And I heard from the social worker this week that the families were so appreciative and thankful for the ways that we showed them just a small amount of compassion. And even though it may seem small to us at times that, sure, we, we gave a couple of dollars here and there, we, we gave something small, it really brought them hope in a time or a season that we celebrate the love of Christ. And we did this because the love of Christ is is something that is given to all people before they ever even earn it. And these families that we supported, they did not have to earn our support. They did not have to earn our trust first. They did not have to prove themselves first. We showed them love because God shows us Love. We showed them love because we are so full of Christ that is just overflowing in our lives. This is what it means to be a holiness people, which is the series that we are stepping into the way or the path of holiness. What does it mean for us to be a holiness people? And over the next few weeks, that's what we are going to look at. And this is both an individual path that people take, an individual path towards this idea of holiness. But more importantly, it's a path that we take together as the church community united together, that we together as the holiness people, we together embody the holiness of God in everything that we do. We're now entering into the second week of this new year. And my prayer for this year is that, that, we, would, that, that we would experience unity. And not just unity together to one another, not just focused on us building relationships, but more importantly, that we together would be united more with Jesus. My prayer is that we together experience a revival in the Holy Spirit and a revival in its most basic sense, its most basic element is a renewed and energized relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. And that is what we are praying for as a church. And the truth is that God is alive and active in the world today, that the Holy Spirit is already working on everybody. The Holy Spirit is working on some to convict them of sins. The Holy Spirit is working on some to draw them closer to him. The Holy Spirit is working on some to empower us to do the Lord's work throughout this year. God desires all of us to be in a deep relationship 
for him. And that happens when we surrender through prayer, where we individually surrender our lives through prayer and where we together surrender ourselves in prayer. And Wednesday nights, the the last month or so, Wednesday nights has become a prayer group. And and, and I have to tell you that God has begun to move in some big ways just through this Wednesday prayer group. And for those that are there, that, that come, you know what I am talking about. You know the ways that God is moving. And for those that don't come. I, I don't have any other way to explain it to you other than it is something that, that, that's really hard to explain, but God is moving. The Holy Spirit is there. There is something big that is happening, and we are praying for revival as a church, and this revival is going to look a little different for us this year. We are going to have a special time for revival and healing to take place within our church. And so the first thing that I want you to do is mark your calendars for two weeks. Saturday, January 21st at 6.30, we are going to meet here for a special service. And I'll tell you more about what that looks like as the days come. But in order for all of this to happen, it begins with prayer. It begins with us surrendering to God in prayer. It begins with us aligning ourselves to the will of God. And in order for that to happen, it means that we must first know what truth we are aligning ourselves to. And it also means that once we know what that truth is, we cannot be ashamed of that truth. We cannot be ashamed of God, ashamed of the gospel, meaning that we are willing to follow the truth within our entire life. But then that begs the question, what is truth? What exactly is the truth? What is it that we are not ashamed of? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be in the book of Romans. And today we're in Romans chapter 1, where Paul begins by proclaiming that he is unashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. This is Paul writing. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now pause. Paul here he, he ends this section by quoting the Old Testament. He's, he's quoting a minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk from the Old Testament. He is quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And he is talking about how there are these two groups of people. How there's one group of people that are, they're proud. They are proud of themselves. They put their faith in themselves. They do things according, according to what they personally 
personally believe is right and they do things that are personally within their own power, the problem is that these people live crooked and evil and wicked lives, says Habakkuk. And then the second group is that these people live by faithfulness. These people are righteous. And by quoting this, this prophet, Paul is telling us that through the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. But then he continues to tell us that something else is revealed as well. Verse 18. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Not only is is the righteousness of God revealed, but also the wrath of God is revealed as well. Paul is saying, like how Habakkuk prophesied, that, that God's righteousness is revealed through the gospel to those who are faithful. But to those who are unfaithful, those who suppress the truth, God's wrath is revealed to them. But the question still remains, what exactly is the truth that is being suppressed? What exactly is this gospel that Paul is not ashamed to live by, but which others suppress and avoid? We live in a society, in a culture that is confused about truth. Have you recognized that? That this culture, this society, they don't know what truth is. Truth, according to society, according to the culture that we live in, truth is whatever you believe. That is truth, which means that your truth can be different than my truth, and both of our truths are true at the exact same time, even if they are different and even if they are complete opposites, because truth is a personal choice. But is that logical. I look at that and I hear that and I see their, their argument for why they say that, but, but is that logical? One of my favorite things about teaching math is that there's no gray area in math. It is either right or it is wrong. Let me ask you, for those that are here today, what is two plus two? Now you say four, but what if I tell you that, that I want to believe the answer is nine. I choose to believe that two plus two equals nine. Because society says that whatever I want to believe, whatever I want to believe in, that is true for me. So I want two plus two to equal nine. So therefore, two plus two is equal nine. That is truth. You can have your own truth and believe that it's four, but my truth says it's nine. Does that even make sense? That is literally, now I know I'm taking it to the extreme, but that is what the culture is doing. They are stating that there is no such thing as an absolute truth. There is no such thing as right or wrong. Absolute truth does not exist is what they are saying. However, we know that there is absolute truth. We know that the answer of two plus two is four, meaning any other answer is wrong. The opposite of truth would be false. 
The opposite of right would be wrong. There is no gray area in the logic of math. Two plus two equals four, which means that absolute truth does indeed exist, and the opposite of truth would then be false. What the culture is doing is they are confusing perspective with truth. The culture says that two people can have the exact same truths that are different and be right at the same time. And that's not true unless it is based on perspective or opinion. For example, imagine that Amy and I are able to, uh, this is going to be years down the road, but at some point, Amy and I are going to be able to sneak away and have a date. Just the two of us. No kids, no nothing. I'm sure one day it will happen again. And now imagine that we're out on this, this perfect date, just the two of us. And we sit down at this table together and, and imagine that, that we are both really hungry or rather we're not hungry. Imagine that we're not very hungry, but we're, but we're out together. And this place is kind of expensive, so it doesn't make sense to buy two meals. So we decide that we're going to share. Let's just buy one meal and then share it. So we ask the, the, the waiter that comes, we ask him, okay, we're going to order this one meal. Just bring us two extra plates that we can divide the food between. So then imagine that we're sitting here. The waiter comes out, they bring the food and they put it down on the plate. Now, Amy and I are opposite of each other. I look at this plate and I see that at the top of the plate, there are mashed potatoes. And then I see in the middle of the plate, there's this big piece of steak. And then at the bottom of the plate, there are mixed veggies. And so now it's time for Amy and I to decide how to split this. So I tell Amy, I said, you know what? I would rather have the vegetables at the top of the plate, and then you can have the vegetables at the bottom of the plate. So Amy hears that and says, great. So she scoops all the mixed vegetables onto my plate and all the mashed potatoes onto her plate. And I say, whoa, stop. I said that I wanted the mashed potatoes. I said I wanted the vegetables that are at the top of the plate, which are the mashed potatoes. Now, my perspective, mashed potato is a vegetable because that's how I convince myself that it's okay that I can eat more mashed potatoes and not have to have any vegetables. So to me, a mashed potato is a vegetable. So that's my truth. And the top of the plate to me is at the very top of this. However, for Amy, that's the bottom of her plate. So she says, no, you're wrong. Mashed potato is not a vegetable. And you said the top of the plate, which was this side with the mixed vegetables. Now we have two different perspectives and both of our perspectives are right. And then we begin eating this and Amy takes a big bite of the steak and says, wow, this is delicious. I take a bite and I say, I, I don't think so. It's, it's, it's chewy. It's, it's, not, it's not cooked in the right way. There's not enough seasoning. I don't think this is very good. Now we differ on whether or not this steak tastes good or not. She says it does. That is her opinion. I say it does not. That is my opinion. Our opinions are different and they can both be true at the same time. Our perspectives can be different our opinions can be different. However, what matters is the real truth. The, what the real truth here is what the food actually is. Not the category that I choose to categorize it, but rather what the food is. The truth is that there really are mashed potatoes. 
There really are mixed vegetables and there really is a big piece of steak. If I say it's hamburger, then I am wrong. There's no matter of perspective or opinion for me to call a piece of steak a hamburger. There is no perspective or opinion that makes sense for me to call the mashed potatoes sweet potatoes because they are not sweet potatoes. They are mashed potatoes. This is the absolute truth that cannot be changed. And this is what the culture is getting confused. They are forgetting that there is one absolute truth. We can have different perspectives, we can have different opinions, but there is one truth. There is one absolute truth. And this is the principle that, that, that perspectives and opinions can be right at the same time. And what they do is they take that principle, that principles, that, that opinions and perspectives can differ but be right, and then they apply that to absolute truths and say, well, if your perspective is that two plus two is nine, then that's correct. It's right for you. I'm not going to mark you wrong on this assignment because that's what you personally believe. They are taking the principle and applying it to the wrong area. And you know what some of these truths are that I'm talking about. The Bible, our Bible, our Christian doctrine, our Christian worldview says that there is only one true God. Now, I know that scripture will reference multiple gods. Even in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God above myself. But the Bible never states that there are actually multiple other gods. The Bible says that people believe there are other gods, but really there is only one true God. The Bible is clear. There is one true God. And so if Christians say that there is one true God... That must mean that if there really are multiple gods, then Christianity is wrong. Because non-Christians will tell you, no, there are multiple gods. There's not this thing of, of just one simple God, but yet we say, no, there is. That is the absolute truth. It is either right or wrong. Christianity is either right or wrong. There is no gray area. Both cannot be true at the same time. Another one, our Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way to get to the Father and to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself says that, that there's only one path and that one path is narrow, but wide is the path, the second path that leads to destruction. That is what Christianity says. But non-Christians, they say that there are many different paths. It doesn't matter what path you take because all of them lead to the same place. In the end, all of them, if there is a heaven, they say, all paths, no matter what you do in life, as long as you do more good than bad, you will eventually make your way into heaven. So it doesn't matter. But those two things cannot exist at the exact same time. One of them says there is one way. The other says there are multiple ways. And here in Romans, Paul is explaining that there is one absolute truth that exists. He says in verse 19 that the wicked people, they know the truth and they choose to suppress it. They know what it is and they choose to ignore it and push it aside. And then goes on to say that this one absolute truth is known by all people. Verse 20. Again, talking about this truth. Paul says, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, 
God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul is saying that, that the entire creation, the entire world reveals the truth about God's existence and people are without excuse. You cannot look out onto the creation of the world and think that it randomly occurred over time by chance over billions of years that everything just formed. God's invisible qualities are clearly seen and understood from creation itself. And then Paul again talks about these two groups of people. The first group of people are those that believe in God, that are faithful. But the second group, Paul said in verse 21, that, that although they knew God, they never glorified him. They, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. According to Paul here in Romans, there is no excuse Every single living human being knows about God simply by looking at the world around them. But we have a choice. As we look out at that, as we know the truth, we get to choose what we do with this truth. We know the truth of God's existence, and so we can decide to either accept that and turn to him, or we can suppress the truth, we can ignore it, and we can look elsewhere. But then Paul continues to tell us what happens when we ignore the truth. If we choose not to obey, if we choose not to accept this one truth, if we turn from God, Paul begins to say that we become foolish. And not only are we foolish, but God's wrath is revealed to them. And then Paul continues to describe something that, that is a bit difficult to hear. It's something that I wrestled with this week as I was trying to read and reread to make sure that I fully understood what Paul was saying. And I'm going to read this next section. You're going to hear these very difficult statements that Paul makes. And you're going to see that these, these statements form three different sections. And each section has this very difficult phrase that God gave them over. It says that God gave them over to sinful desires, and then God gave them over to shameful lusts, and then God gave them over to a depraved mind, which means wicked or corrupt. And even though I knew this passage, even though I have read it hundreds of times, even though I know the answer, I still read it with a new perspective this week. As I was reading through it, I was wrestling with this language of what does it mean for God to give us over or to give those people over? What does that mean? And I want to tell you that it's okay to wrestle with scripture. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to question what is going on because in my opinion, again, my opinion, 
is that when we do that, it encourages us to dig deeper, to find out more of what is happening. And that excites me. So it's okay to, to wrestle with scripture and you are always welcome to come to me and we can wrestle with it together with no judgment because that is where I find energy and excitement is doing that. So, so as I read this, you will hear this language that I was wrestling with. Verse 24. Therefore, again, therefore, meaning these people that chose to suppress the truth, they chose to go their own wicked way. Because of that, therefore, verse 24, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for, other, for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. There are three sections that Paul outlines here that are all marked by that phrase that God gave them over. But before we can break these down, we have to answer the question of what does it mean for God to give them over? Before this section here, Paul uses this language of things that are revealed. He said earlier that the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel to those that are faithful, to those that see the truth and accept it. And the wrath of God is revealed to those that suppress the truth because when you suppress the truth, you are turning from God. And so this language of God's wrath can often be confused with, with the human idea that, that wrath, we, we, we think of wrath and we tie that to like a king or a military leader that exacts their, their wrath upon other people out of their anger. It's this idea of, of somebody throwing a temper tantrum. But that's not what Paul means. That's not what is meant by God's wrath. God's wrath really has two parts to it. There is a future wrath that will occur as a punishment that is received. This is the future, the afterlife when Jesus comes back again. That is the future of God's wrath. But there's also a current wrath that Paul talks about here. 
This language that, that Paul is using about how God gives people over to their sinful desires, to their shameful lust, to their depraved minds. This is the current wrath that people begin to experience. And what I wrestled with this week was, was what God's role is in this statement. Does God intentionally make people evil? Does God intentionally pick people up out of the path of righteousness? They're doing great. Does he pick them up and give them over to the path of destruction, causing them to go into doing these things? What is God's role in this? Where does he come in? Does he get to decide who is righteous and who is not? That is what I was wrestling with this week. And the answer to that question is no. No, God does not do that. God does not force us to act in a certain way. God does not force us to act down the path of righteousness or act in the ways of wickedness. Instead, these are natural consequences to our own rebellion. When people rebel or they, they go the wrong way, the opposite way of truth, when they go down this path, then God lets the natural consequences occur. He allows them to be given over to sin. Not that he pushes them towards sin, but he allows them to go down that path and allow the consequences to happen. Has anybody, I know Kyle does this all the time, has anybody besides Kyle ever tried to spit towards the wind? You know what I'm talking about? Like the wind is coming right at you and you spit. The natural consequence is it comes right back to you. It hits you right back in the face. Or what about trying to defy gravity by jumping off of a building? When you jump off of a building and you try to go against gravity, what you find is you cannot beat gravity and you experience the natural consequence of falling down to the ground and experiencing a lot of pain. There are natural consequences to our choices. And when we choose to do those things, when we spit into the wind or when we jump off a building, God does not have to intervene. God does not come down and say, wow, you just jumped off the building. Okay, here is pain. Experience it. He has already written all of these natural consequences into what we do. He does not have to intervene and provide us with punishment because the consequence already exists within the thing itself. And so Paul is saying that sin is its own punishment that is within this current idea of God's wrath. Not the future wrath, but the current wrath. Sin is its own punishment. And this punishment has future consequences. Paul later says that the wages of sin is death, talking about eternal damnation. And this punishment also has current consequences. If you try to decide, if, if you live a life, if you embrace a sinful life, say, of partying, if you decide to live a life of partying, then you will experience the natural consequences of hangovers. You will experience the natural consequences that eventually lead to broken relationships. If you decide to live in anger and hold grudges, then you experience the natural consequence of being alone. 
because there's nobody that you will be able to trust and live with. If you decide to live a life filled with lies, then you will experience the natural consequence of nobody trusting you anymore. These are natural consequences that you experience now, but that lead to further consequences of spiritual death. And Paul logically lays this out. He says that there are those that know the truth, but choose to suppress it. They choose to live on their own, to go their own way, and these people become foolish. They, they are foolish in their thinking, they are foolish in their actions, and they slowly turn to other idols of worship instead of God. And as they do these things, then it gets worse. Then the natural consequences is, is that God lets you live into the sinful desires of your heart. These are what Paul outlines in verses 24 through 25. He begins with the first one that says that he lets you, he gives you over to these sinful desires of your heart that lead to living in sexual impurity and serving other idols above him, which then leads to another consequence in verse 26 that because this happened, God then gives you over to shameful lust. These people begin to live into homosexuality and, and go against God's original design and creation for marriage. And then in the third second, in the third section, Paul says in verse 28, he says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. These people did not retain the knowledge of truth of God. They knew it at one time, but suppressed it. And now they have walked down that path so long that they are just horribly wicked and they do everything that they shouldn't be doing. And then Paul gives us this extremely long list of ways that people are living into their sin. The entire passage is built on the premise that first, the truth of God is absolute and it is knowable. And second, every person makes a choice to either live into that truth or to suppress it. Everybody serves a master. Whether we realize it or not, we either serve God or we serve something else like ourselves or we serve entertainment or something else that we create into an idol. We choose to serve who we want to serve. When we choose God, we experience the righteousness that is revealed to us. When we choose elsewhere, we experience the wrath, the, the natural consequences of our sin. And Paul outlines all of this to set up the beauty and power of the gift of grace that we have received. He says in verse 32 that those who do such things deserve death talking about sin. But Paul also says later in Romans 6 that, that the wages of sin is death. But the second half of that says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, meaning that, that the gift is the gospel. It's the truth of Jesus, that Jesus came and paid the price for us, and that if we believe and follow him, we will be saved. We will experience his righteousness, his goodness, and this is the truth. This is the gospel. This is 
Jesus, Jesus, who is the way, the life, and the truth. And so this is what Paul lives into when he says, I am unashamed of the gospel. He is unashamed of the truth of who God is. He is unashamed of the fact that you get to choose and your choice dictates what happens to you. And he is unashamed of that living into the life of Jesus. And so my question for you this morning is, are you willing to embrace this truth? Are you willing to to believe this, to accept this, and then to live unashamed of the gospel? Are we willing to to serve Christ instead of serving ourselves? There may be times that that we say yes to God and we start walking this way, but then we we fall, we slip, we, we do something that takes us off the path, we allow Satan to to get into our minds and do something different through us. We allow this to happen. But the truth is that, that Jesus has paid the price to set us free. The truth is that we can live for Christ instead of ourselves, that we can surrender to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse us and work in us and bring us back onto the path of holiness. And so this season... These, these weeks and these months that we are in, our prayer is for revival. We are praying for a closer walk with God. And this happens by realizing that we have a choice to live in sin or a choice to live in grace. And when we surrender to God, when we live in that grace, when we walk this path, then and only then will we experience true life, life abundant as Jesus describes it. When we surrender to God, we will experience the, the, this renewal, this revival that is found within the Holy Spirit. We will experience the gift that God has set aside for us. This morning, we're, we're going to close out with a song, a hymn that many of you may be familiar with. And as we do this, my my ask of you this morning is that you respond however you need to respond this morning. There are altars out if you choose to use the altars, if you want to pray in your seat, if you just want to sing the song and, and allow these words to become your own words. Pray with me. We choose to live into your goodness. We choose to believe in your truth. And so this morning we pray for your goodness to be revealed to us, your grace to be revealed to us. Remind us and work on us. Remind us and show us of the sins that we have in our lives so that we can repent and walk down this path towards holiness with you. Father, give us the courage to do that, the courage to seek help when we need help. Father, give us the wisdom to recognize your truth and live into it instead of ignoring it. Father, we pray all of this in your name. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at Arnaz Church or our website, 
rnas.church. 